0: I do remember that the first like, season I had of regular preaching, I was a youth pastor in a little town called Spring Valley, Wisconsin, and my wife would tell me that I was just like a freight train that only just... and never slowed down. There was no pacing. There was no dips. There was no pause for reflection. There was just rolling with it.
1: Um, so I can tell you that. <laughs> Welcome to the Midwest Church Planting Project, where we connect you with local church planters to learn about life and leadership here in the passive-aggressive Midwest. I'm your host, Davis Johnson. Well, hey folks, on today's episode of the Midwest Church Planting Project, we're going to have a conversation with Pete Sikowski, the lead pastor of Imago Day in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Pete's last name contains just about every letter of the alphabet, and he has a lot to a lot to say on church planting. He's going to give us the 10 unpleasant surprises of planting a church, and they're fantastic. They are an honest window into the world of church planting. So here he is. Uh, excited to be here, Pete. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. Glad really, to have you. Really, really good. Hey, I've known you for, I think, two years now, maybe yeah, a little more. something like that. To feels like ex- longer. Yeah, it does. It feels like longer. I think yeah. that's a compliment in, a good way. in some cultures, <laughs> not ours. <laughs> um, so tell us a little bit about Imago Day. Just get us acquainted with the church. Sure. Imago uh, Day. we are... Well,
0: before you will have our celebrate our fourth birthday this fall, fall of 2018, um, we are on Milwaukee's west side. We're in Milwaukee proper. Um, and yeah, we are We're just trying to preach the gospel and live that out in the, as uh, Vanderstalt would say, in the everyday stuff of life. Um, so. Right yeah, on. A little right bit on. about where we're at,
1: uh, and tell us a little bit about the unique qualities that make Imago Day Church Imago Day, as well as uh, some of the contextual realities of sure. planting a church in Milwaukee.
0: Yeah. So I think um, when we when we started, uh, we held on to five distinctives, just as we were uh, working through our. Um, uh, what we were inviting people into for our launch team, you know, we wanted to know what we were asking actually, what we were actually asking people to do, and these things have really held true because we built the launch team for a year, uh, launched after that, and so we've had f- almost four years of public services, so almost five years altogether we've been in Milwaukee, and so I'd say what makes um, ID ID would be that um, we are uh, committed to being gospel central. In everything that we do. So from our kids ministry to our preaching to our worship to our um, REM group communities, it's our, our version of small groups. Um, so that's one thing. A second thing is we are committed to developing leaders. And so we just believe it's the church's responsibility to develop leaders. So we're not looking for other churches to do that for us and send us their people. We're not looking for the parachurch to equip folks. Um, But we believe that that's our responsibility, so we work in that direction. Um, Let's see. uh, If any of our people are listening to this, they will give me a hard time for not being able to just rattle these off. So um, we have uh, gospel central leader development. One of our values is that we want to serve as a team of teams. And so by that, what we mean is we don't want to have any all-stars in the church, that Jesus is the all-star, and he's called the church to be the church, that we're a body of believers. And so we want to do whatever ministry we take on, we want to do as a team of teams. Fourth thing is we are focused on mission, and so we don't want to do anything without thinking about our, our unique context. So how is this going to communicate gospel hope? Um, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces. And so we don't want to take on initiatives that would detract from mission, basically. And then the fourth and final thing is um, we've we've aimed for cultural diversity. Uh, since we've come down, as um, some may know, Milwaukee is typically listed as America's most segregated city. And so uh, racial issues are really, really... Um, it's... I believe it's critical that the church addresses segregation and racism in, uh, in a gospel-centered way. In, in, this, in, in America in general right now, a lot of people are talking about this, but in Milwaukee in particular, for, from my vantage point, this is just a non-negotiable. Mm-hmm. So that's a little bit about what makes um, us who we are here, and so then how that gets fleshed out then. like we, uh, Our worship services, we tend to try to have as much gospel music as we would hymns. And we try to incorporate elements from traditional um, a traditional African-American church setting and also from what might be a more traditional um, Anglo worship setting. So we try to like intentionally incorporate these things so that folks um, won't feel like they're not welcomed because we're not doing because we're completely ignorant of uh, other cultural expressions that are that are faithful to the word. Yeah. So a little yeah. bit about that.
1: Yeah, great. Uh, and tell us a little bit about how you, uh, felt that you were called to plant a church. Like when did it become apparent to Pete Zakowski that church planting was going to be the thing that you were going to dedicate these years to?
0: Yeah, I would say that, uh, at f- first there, there was an impression that I couldn't shake. And then, um, I knew that God was calling us to plant a, a church when our elders unanimously affirmed that. And so, um, and just the way that my theology and ecclesiology works itself out is unless the elders of a local church send you out, um, then you ought to question whether or not this is what God's calling you to do because that is the pattern that we see in the Bible. And then, just too, the idea that like <laughs> that you would want to like lead a church when you've never served in a church well enough to be known by the leaders of that church is suspect, suspect, <laughs> it's suspect at <I> best, yeah. <laughs> So Um, Yeah, so I had these impressions that this is what God was calling us to do. Went through several different assessments that basically gave me a profile that said, you love challenges, you love to build teams, you want new opportunities. I'm like, oh, you like to recruit people. This sounds like church planting. Um, So there was that. And then we were in a um, uh, technically a suburb of Minneapolis at the time. I was on staff for about four or five years at a church. And God was just really you would know, always given both my wife and I a heart for the poor um and the you know both of us are just feeling like we we did not want to live our lives in such a way that caring for the poor needed to be a field trip like we wanted that to be a regular pattern of our lives because we we're planting roots in in hurting and under-resourced communities so that we can use the resources that God's given us to care for those in a way that to care for people in a way that points them to Jesus and so um, started feeling these things, uh, church sent us on a sabbatical in Milwaukee actually, uh, to test out urban ministry, uh, in general, but Milwaukee in particular and just the lights with every there. And there were several other steps we took, but with every step, the lights just kept on turning green. And then when we gave our final report to our elders and unanimously, they all affirmed that this is what God, they believe God was calling us to do. I'm like, okay,
1: time to raise money. Oh. <laughs> Wow. Awesome. And um, you, you mentioned earlier that Milwaukee is listed as the most segregated city in the country. Yep. What uh, What unique obstacles do you find ministering here in Milwaukee that maybe others might not experience on the church planting? Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, um,
0: skepticism. And, and I think oh, this, some may say that there is a a resistance and a skepticism to the gospel in general. And that's absolutely true, you know, uh, dead in sin and all those theological concepts, but it's amplified when, um, just by the color of your skin, people are going to be rightly in many cases, skeptical of you. But then beyond that, um, I have found that when we talk about these concepts, folks, not along. So I'll, I'll say it this way: If I preach on Genesis twelve two and say um, Abraham was blessed to be a blessing, father of many nations, whoever blesses Abraham would be blessed, um, then go to Galatians and say, and so you're a part of the Abrahamic covenant, so you have been blessed, so that you could be a blessing. When I when I say that, everybody nods along and they're good with it. But when I just change the words a little bit and say you have been privileged, so that you can use your privilege to help the underprivileged. Def- I, I just get defensive body language all over the place, when I'm looking at the church, <laughs> you know, from from a lot of from a lot of people. Like, okay, wait, now what are you saying? Are, are you socialist? Are you talking about redistribution of wealth? Like, this doesn't. Are you are you feeling the burn here? Like, what what's going on? And just like, and so it's like some of these things, like these biblical concepts of care for the poor. If you have two jackets, give one away. Like, all of a sudden, gets like hijacked into this like political. Vortex that you just can't get people out of sometimes and then folks don't like want to continue to try and uh, care for a city um, in a gospel centered way. That involves, that includes caring for the poor because it gets like interpreted politically often. So I'd say like those would be probably the two biggest things. So from some people, because I'm a white guy, they'll see me and be skeptical. And other people, because I talk about caring for the poor, will hear me and get skeptical. And so sometimes it's like, I don't have a tribe. Like there's, there's, I'm on my own is how it can feel.
1: Yeah, that and,
0: and that's not and that's just I mean, all uh, and I, I don't mean to be disparaging because we got all kinds of people who are like who are in on that. But I would say that's a unique challenge when you're actually trying to
1: put some of those concepts into motion in a gospel centered way. Well, I'm thankful that you're facing the, the problem side right on man. That does not sound easy. Uh, so one of the things I like to do in this podcast after kind of getting to know you a little bit. Is transition more to a wheelhouse or something that kind of lights the guys up? Uh, whoever it is that I'm talking to. Yep. And I first met you, I think, at the X29 Midwest Conference in Michigan. Really? And I think that's where we first really kind of hit it off because oh, I actually okay. sat in on the breakout session that you gave. Yeah, yeah. And the title of that was Ten Unpleasant Surprises uh, that you're gonna that you're gonna find in a church plant. Yes. Or more succinctly, Do Not Plant a Church, I think in all caps is what it was. <laughs> yeah, that,
0: that that's what that's what I titled it. And I think that 829 softened it. <laughs> softened it a little bit. Yeah, yeah.
1: So I have that list in front of me yeah, yeah. and I would love to just ask you about sure. some of them. Have you described them? And if if I miss any of the main ones or any of your favorites, feel free to chime in on them. But the first one here yep. is You'll get fat. Yes, you will. So the first unpleasant <laughs> surprise in church planning is you will get fat. Tell us a little bit about that.
0: Yes. Um, I, it was one of those things where I stepped on the scale one day, and I was 15 to 20 pounds heavier than I was when I came. And I think that was like a solid nine, if not 12 months after we got here. But, but there's two, two things that happen with that. One is you just spend so much time meeting with people Actually, there's three things. I'd say it this way: one is you spend so much time meeting with people, and so many of your meetings are at coffee shops or for lunch. Like maybe you'll take a guy to an Irish pub, and you'll eat greasy food and have a beer and whatever. Um, So you spend so much time meeting with people, and so many of those meetings happen over food. Um, And then a second thing is like your those initial days of church planting, like your schedule is so out of whack, man. It's like if you're structured like I am, it is. Ridiculous to try and like, you just got to be so nimble because people cancel on you. Then people who did cancel, they call back and say, Actually, I can meet. Like, it's just so you can't structure those days. And so it's really hard to get into like a pattern of healthy eating and healthy exercise and so forth. But the biggest issue is looking for comfort, I think, because it can be hard, it can be lonely. And you can have hard night after a hard night. And sometimes you just want something to feel good. And so you throw in a frozen pizza at eight o'clock after you've already had dinner and dessert, <laughs> you know? <laughs> wow.
1: So if we're already getting fat, would that be a good excuse to plant a church? That we have? <laughs> You're already on the trajectory. <laughs> you've got number one down. Is that a prerequisite? Yeah. <laughs> the second one here is yeah, you yeah. might get divorced. Tell us. Yeah. about Tell Oh, about.
0: golly. Yeah. It's just brutal, man. It is brutal on your marriage. Like, if there's any potential church planters uh, checking this out, if your marriage is not in a healthy spot, like, and, and in fact, I would recommend you and seeing a marriage counselor, even if you don't think you need counseling before getting into this pipeline, honestly, because mm-hmm. like just trust issues, right? Like you have to, I had to meet with so many women. And so like if my, and how, how are you going to do that? In, in a way that honors your wife, protects your heart, guards their heart, like makes sure that it's above reproach to anybody else who's watching. like what would what would the guy at the coffee shop think when I'm sitting with a fourth different woman at a coffee at the same coffee shop this week? You know what I mean? Yeah. And so it's like you have some of those issues, but then you also just have like the stress of this schedule that's all out of the place. So trying to like get a regular date pattern. And then if you have kids that are in the mix um and now you're you have to like you have to get your kids involved in school maybe or if they're involved in sports and you now you have just all of these competing and contrasting demands and you don't have like regular patterns of dating and connecting and um all that kind of stuff it just makes it is really and really challenging but then the other thing is. Um, that I would say is, uh, especially if you're moving to a new city. Now, this would be different for guys who are like hiving off of a church maybe. But if you're parachuting into a new place and you don't know people, like who's your wife supposed to talk to? Like, yes, you got Facebook and whatever, but like it's sometimes you just need to be able to look someone in the eyes and tell them this hurts.
1: Yeah.
0: So. um, And
1: and practically, I'm just thinking of the guys maybe who tune into this podcast who are already planting and they're experiencing this pain that you're describing. What, what is something that you and Christy did to to confront this struggle? Um, one of the things was I had a mentor
0: that I met with on a, at least a monthly basis. And I would just share with an older guy, retired guy, faithful in ministry. Um, and so I would put like all – all my church type struggles, all my schedule type struggles, in front of him, and he'd say, "Dude, take your wife on a date." <laughs> so, like, I'd say that's that'd be probably maybe one of the most important things. Like, get a mentor in your life who's can, who is far enough down the road that they can see the season that feels remarkably stressful and impossible to you, but they've already been there and they've seen God bring them through, and they can say, "It's okay, God's got this. He will get this." You need to go take your wife on a date cancel that meeting (laughs) really
1: really helpful um in this third one i don't think we covered all 10 when we did that break a couple years ago but i remember we did do this third one and it was pretty revolutionary for me and maybe it's because i'm a millennial snowflake (laughs) as i'm told in my (laughs) job Uh, (laughs) uh, but i do think this one is huge to hear for church planners the third one is no one will care oh yeah tell us what you mean by that yeah
0: uh, what it what it says <laughs> no no one will care and what um but more specifically, no one will care as much as you do, mm. which will make it which may make it feel like they don't care at all and so um i've I've talked with many i this has been my experience, and I've talked with many guys who like have moved to a town or who have started planting, they cast this vision even to friends that that they're hoping will join their launch team and guys are excited they're like yeah this is great this is awesome this is just what a church is supposed to be you painted yeah this is this is acts two it's gonna you know here comes here comes revival thank you um and then and then like it's time to put uh the you know the wheels and the boots on the ground and guys will just be like well but i'm plugged in over at this church I've got friends over here, like I can't, they have a kids ministry, you don't. Um, they have a youth ministry, you don't. And I can't actually, like, I'm glad you're here. I hope revival breaks out in your work, but I can't. They got they got coffee at their church and you don't. I'm not coming over. And so it's like, it's not, it, it is, it'll, it can feel like nobody cares. Because not only will you, will you find, probably, most. I think most people do, that some of the folks who... You thought we were gonna be all in with you, don't turn out to be um and then the other thing is like oh, it can just be so brutal to like make these follow up calls with people to meet people and they say they're interested and they meet with them, and then they're not and, like you just get rejected so, so much. But the real, I think maybe the real issue with this is nobody should care as much as you. Mm. Like, if you're leading this thing, nobody should want to see God do in and through your church what you want to see. Like, nobody should want that as much as you. That's why you're leading. That's why God's called you to lead. And so if you expect everybody to have your level of enthusiasm, you will be disappointed. Mm. And if you need people to have your
1: level of enthusiasm, you will be crushed. Mm. This fourth one, I remember uh, you and I chatted about a month ago or so and you had brought up that you and your wife got out for a lunch and we're just kind of reflecting on the last four years of ministry mm-hmm. and, and some of the things that didn't go as planned mm-hmm. and that being a real blessing to you and your oh, wife yeah, and yeah, this yeah. church. And so the fourth one here is you'll probably fail. Mm. Tell us about that one. Anybody who
0: looks to plant the church will probably read some stats that say 70% of church plants fail, something like that. And I don't know if those stats are true or not, but I also know that most people who will read those stats say, yeah, but not me in the years, in the what, five years that we've been here. I Um, I don't even know that I could count on maybe on both of my hands, it, the number of guys that have come in to talk with me about planting a church and they've had to close their doors like between when they came in to say they believe absolutely believe God's calling them to do this thing. And today like they've, they've closed their doors like they have not made it. It is, it's brutal. And if, and so, I mean, really like most people, church plants probably don't make it like unless there's like a lot of good structural support and mother churches nearby, like that kind of stuff. Um, But it's really, really hard. And if you need to succeed in especially the, all of the ways that you're most passionate about, like if you need those things to succeed in order to feel okay about yourself or to prove somebody wrong or to prove God, right? Like if you need this, It's going to be brutal like you because very little goes the way that you want it to. Um, And that and all of the ways that we have been disappointed have been such a blessing. Like, I don't even want to know how much of a prideful jerk I would be if we had if God had answered all the prayers that I prayed I already like I, I am already arrogant and think that I have the answers as it is. And so if I like if God like <laughs> made it look like I actually did have those answers, man. I don't I don't honestly I don't even want to know. I'm so glad that we have a small, unimpressive church that I think is faithful with like sound elders that are legitimately shepherding the flock in sacrificial ways. Um that's just so much better for my heart than what I was dreaming of. Yeah, yeah.
1: And that, that actually pairs really well with this next one that uh you will need God to show up. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about how that has played out here at Imago Dad. Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, I mean it's like you you read you read some of the stories in the Bible and it's like you kind of um uh almost shake your head at their lack of faith. You know, it's like, well, why are the Israelites complaining? God of course is gonna part the Red Sea. And then it's like you can kinda of, for me anyway, like I put myself in their sandals and i'm like oh that'd be awesome like this be an adventure like you need god to show up and then he does and it's amazing but when you need god to show up it feels so desperate (laughs) like it feels so desperate like you feel weak and like you don't have any control or power and there's nothing you like you've you've said all the things you can say you've worked all the hours that you're able you've prayed every prayer you know how and still no answer You just need God to do this thing. And so from seeing your neighbor trust Jesus to, um, having someone to play a guitar on a Sunday morning, sometimes like you can just need God to show up. But like the, the beautiful thing about that is if you don't like, The ultimate things that we want to see God do in the church, and particularly as church planters, only God can do, because only God can make a new heart. Mm. I can't do that. Um, And so um, it just is a very hard but helpful thing to be consistently placed in a position where these things that you thought you had the skill to do, you don't. Like you, maybe you leave a church where you've got some credibility, you've got some people who trust you. When you give an answer, people listen. And now you move into this new context; nobody knows you, nobody trusts you, nobody. Just because Davis said it, like that doesn't matter to them. They don't know Davis. Well, that's
1: not that different from my. Oh, context. that's how it is. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but then yeah, so like when that's like all oh, like you don't even you got nothing to lean on and no no credibility or history or
1: whatever. Like mm-hmm. it's you just you need God to do these things in people. Right. Hmm. Uh this next one uh, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about because I think there's a lot of type A folks who who are sure. just work horses, man. They just yeah. want to grind, yeah. right? Yeah. So this next one is you'll never get a break. Oh. oh. <laughs> Describe that a little bit. Oh yeah.
0: Um I forgot about
1: that one. Oh, man. <laughs> Just because you've been working too much. You yeah, I, think, I haven't been able to think about that for a while.
0: <laughs> well, I think there was like maybe two or three stretches of in a row
1: like where I preached for six months straight, got a break, preached for another six months, got a break. Six months. Six months. I'm yeah. trying to do the math. In my, I, I was promised no math in this interview, so I, I'm trying to do <laughs> six times. Yeah. It takes. That's a lot of months. It's weeks, a lot yeah. of weeks.
0: Yeah. yeah, and not only do you have all that preaching that you have to do, um, but then everything else needs to keep on going too. like just the, the never ending grind of the initial days of a church plant, uh, can just feel like it, it can really run you into the ground mm. and there's, there's nothing you can do, but go through it. I suppose, um, if you're able to plant with a team or if you have like network connections where folks can come in and take some of those things off your plate, that's helpful, but that's not going to be everybody's situation. And so, It's just really challenging to need to have. um, I should say it this way. Like, if you care about sound preaching, it's really, really challenging to continue to prepare, like, to put the time into prepare to preach a sound message while the guy who you had leading your small group ministry needs to step away because he's got a, he's got some marriage stuff he's got to deal with. Okay. So now like you thought this dude was doing this thing, but now you got to do this too. And then another thing stops and another thing stops and another, and then another couple comes in. Like, I I mean, just the number of the number of times in the last several years. And this is like, it's just, this is real. Like, and you gotta, you gotta be prepared to deal with this key leaders will step away because you need to care for them. So now you have an extra counseling appointment on your schedule on a regular basis, and you got to figure out how to carry this ministry ball that they have walked away from. So it's not just this other thing stopped. Now you have to step up in two different ways that you were not planning on, and you still have to have something to say come Sunday that you don't want to sound like a heretic with. So, you know, really it's that, and you have to expect that, because we are weak. We're broken people, and... Satan doesn't want churches to thrive and and but even more than that God wants God wants like sound healthy sanctified people and that's going to re, and so that's going to mean that brokenness is going to get pushed to the surface that was able to be managed before and then you'll have to choose over and over again are you going to push this program forward or are you going to let uh, a first impressions kind of a ministry go to the wayside, which is going to cost you people. It's going to cost you visitors. It's going to cost you all these different things because you got to care for them. Hmm.
1: Hmm. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah, it does make sense. And, and this one, I want you to take a little, a little bit uh, more specific with how this plays out at Imago day. Cause you mentioned it earlier. It's one of your kind of core values, but it's yep. the idea that there's no all stars. You're building a church on the back of frail, finite fallen people. I have yes. say, yeah, to yep. Describe a little bit more about how that, how that looks.
0: Yeah. So, um,
1: I think you also, said it, you said it's impossible and it's constantly changing and discouraging. <laughs> <laughs> Put that in your morning coffee. And yeah, right, 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 right.
0: <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, when it, it may be that somebody needs to step away from a ministry altogether, but it may be that they just need to take a break for a week or a month or just can't like finish this one project or whatever the case may be. And then too, like with that, you're a frail, finite fallen person and you're going to do stupid things that are going to hurt people. And then those people who are going to get hurt by you are going to need to decide whether or not they can trust you anymore. And then if that's a key leader or two or three, um, now what's going to happen to all these other all these other areas. So yeah, like your brokenness and your finiteness is going to run up against other peoples. Um, and that, that can cause, that can cause conflict, especially if it's not, well, it will cause conflict, but then how are you going to deal with it? So now are you going to like walk through this situation or are you going to ignore this situation because you got these other things that you got to keep on doing? So yes, building a team, doing ministry as a team of teams, I think is a, I I think is a good biblical principle but then what that what you're saying in that or at least what you have to acknowledge is you will have people who are just going to get tired they're not going to know how to do everything and they're going to get discouraged because they aren't exactly sure how to lead this initiative and other people are expecting them to act like they have the answers I mean just like one thing that we've seen over and over again is um, it can feel like people who are Uh, being served by volunteer leaders, like expect the volunteer leaders to have all their stuff together and to like answer emails right on time and texts and whatever. And it's like, but man, this dude's working a full-time job and he he didn't even get a chance to put his kids to bed yet. Like just give him a break. Like he's not going to be able to respond right now. It might take two or three days because he's not sitting in an office. Like he's trying to do this over and above everything else. But because somebody's got a title or a position, people just have these expectations, and especially when you're small and and maybe this be another thing like a lot of people come out of a church context, and so they're used to having amenities they're used to having multiple staff they're used to getting this email response quickly they're not used to not being able
1: to be central to somebody's email response time or whatever right so does that answer the question it, it does absolutely we just got I, I think three more here and that should get us through all 10 so wow we are way ahead of what I thought we could accomplish together you and I uh, these next two though really really get underneath the surface they kind of get at the heart so feel free to take as much time as you want sure to describe them uh, number eight here is the role of church planter is very thankless
0: yeah yeah It's kind of one of those things where maybe the first or second or third time you preach, people will tell you good job. And then after a while, they don't tell you good job.
1: Mm.
0: They don't thank you. They just kind of expect this level of service to be continued to be offered. But maybe, um, maybe the real issue with being like a thankless gig is if you are a fully funded church planter where you're getting a paycheck – and you're building a launch team with volunteers, most of those volunteers are going to be at least as stretched, if not more stretched than you, like legitimately. Because while you can give all of your time and attention to this, like they can only give part of their time and attention to this because they're also working their full-time job, maintaining their marriages, trying to keep in touch with their family, you know, across the state or whatever the case may be. And so they're not going to necessarily thank you because they are pouring out their lives. They are serving and sacrificing and giving a ton. And so people who are giving a lot like that aren't necessarily going to thank you (laughs) for giving what you give. um, Because not only are you getting paid, but they're getting behind you. Like, in in a way, they are serving you. And you know you're serving together. And I'm not like, I don't mean to communicate it like a... Uh, theology of hierarchy in the church or something like that. But the reality is like you have asked them to do this thing and they're going to do it. <clears throat> so they're, you know, following up on that request. And so they will feel like you should be thanking them rightly, rightly, <laughs> you know? And so if you need to be patted on the back, if you need to be appreciated and acknowledged and cheered on, um, that can be that can get that can get very wearing, uh, because the people that you're working with are giving at least as much, if not more, than you are. When you're already feeling like you're giving everything you got, and you just want someone
1: to notice and say "good job," yeah. um, but that's what they want to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which which leads into the next one here. Number nine is your own idolatry will be pushed to the surface in painful ways. Yeah. Describe what you mean by that. Yeah.
0: Well, I think like um you know so going back to even just that last one, do you need to be thanked? Do you need to be recognized if so, why? Um the food thing right off the bat, like do you need to be comforted if so, why? Why aren't you finding your comfort in Jesus? Um are you disappointed? Like do you need to succeed if so, why? Like what why what would ha- what would it mean about you if you failed? What would that mean about your character? What would that mean about your value in this world? And so when you feel like you're on the brink of failure, when you feel like you just want to escape into anything that can give you a moment of relief, if that is not into Jesus for his glory and not just for your sustenance, um, that's going to push all kinds of things to the surface that you would not have even known were there because of, Um, at least in my experience, I didn't realize how much the people around me were absorbing when I was working with a staff team and I was not an elder, (laughs) but there was an elder team that was dealing with the marriage that was falling apart. Um, so when you're just like pushed to the brink and so it's in all those different ways, like your security, your identity, your value, your comfort, um, your need to succeed, your drivenness, like do you need God to show up, or do you think that if you just grind, you can make this thing happen? so then you know like Galatians we're talking about, did you, who began by the spirit, did you think that you would now plant your church by hard work and dedication <laughs> <laughs> <That's> <laughs> right good. um so yeah, all of those things get pushed to the surface, and it like that, that's that's probably the hardest thing, like our do you want God? To crucify you so that you no longer live, but that Christ lives in
1: you so that the church you plant, you plant by faith in the Son of God.
0: <laughs> That's a
1: good word. Uh, last one here. Number 10. People will, quote unquote, betray you. People will betray you. Tell us what True. you mean by that. <laughs> Next question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's two, two things with
0: this. One is, um, like, you, you will probably feel betrayed when you never were. Like you will probably hear people promise things that they never did. You'll probably expect things from people that they never offered. And you will probably do these things because like, not only does this thing matter to you a ton enough for you to give your life to it. Um, but you legitimately believe that this is, this is the best and most important thing around. Like if you don't believe that, please don't plant a church, <laughs> like do anything else. Um, And so, like, when people will say, yeah, I'll think about that, it can be very easy to hear, oh, I'm in. I'll do that. Yeah, for sure. Um, And so, I think you can feel betrayed just because people don't, because you you hear promises that other people never made. Um, Other times, you can feel betrayed because people just need to make choices. Um, Like, for example, we had one of our key leaders early on needed to leave um, because they're uh, they had some uh, health issues in their extended family that they needed to tend to, and um, now what? Like this, I was relying on this person to carry this significant ball, and now that's dropped, and I got nowhere to turn. But you know, they didn't necessarily want to drop that ball. <laughs> like this wasn't the plan. Like you don't want to give up what your dream was in order to go, go care for sick parents, but it can feel like a betrayal. Um, But then there is the reality that some people very well may betray you. Like you may in vulnerability share a weakness or a struggle and that may get whispered around. Um, And then within your networks, you may have people promise you things and then instead of helping you, they try to... um, compete with you basically, or take credit for your idea and like pull resources away from you and back over to them or whatever the case may be. Um, but yeah, like there, we can all say that the church isn't supposed to be competitive and you know, there's enough people to reach, yada, yada, yada. Um, but not every church that says that functions as if that's actually true. And, um, that can be really 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 challenging, and then you got all the other um different like ministry ministry groups that are doing their thing um where not only can you have people promise to help and then not help like you can in some cases um have people like trying to like hurt what you're doing where like i i'll i'll just I'll leave it there um yeah. Because they, they feel threatened. So they'll like legitimately try to hurt and like get people to not be involved with what you're doing. Um, so, um, yeah, like that. Yeah. Like you, you may feel betrayed when you never were. Um, and you may legitimately be betrayed because of, um, you know, people love to gossip. People love to love, uh, um, uh, a controversy, you know, love to have the inside information and, Oh yeah, well, did you hear this? And, um, you know, people. Well, I don't. Are you really sure that you can trust him? You know, he said this, but now we're doing that. Do you really think we can listen to this guy? And then that gets passed around, or then you know, the other, you know, uh, whether it's people on the inside or the outside, like can legitimately try to hurt what you're doing.
1: Wow. Uh, and Just a final question here, as you as you reflect now on yes. the ten unpleasant surprises, and I know you wrote this material I think two years ago. I did. I was so. in a very,
0: very depressed place. <laughs> oh, geez. Oh, geez.
1: <laughs> what uh, what of the ten would you hold most dear uh, to your heart nowadays? What, which one of these ten, as you look back on them, you are yeah. like, "Yep, that's that's me today."
0: Well, I would say um, I would still say that all those things may. Will more likely than not ring true to a to to a different degree for every church planter. I'd be very surprised if there's if I could talk with any church planter in the American context anyway that would say that any of those has not happened to them at least to a degree. Yeah. Um, but I would say most near and dear would be the idolatry getting pushed to the surface. Yeah. Like that's the thing because if you um, like, you're not going to get divorced if both you and your wife are repenting. Um, you're not going to get fat if you find your comfort in Jesus and like maintain good disciplines. Um, and you don't have other like biological, like health issues where like, you know, um, thyroid issues or whatever the case may be. Um, so, um, yeah, I would say like most near and dear, I, I would say is the, the idolatry issue because. You know, in many ways, that is, that is the Christian life, right? It's like it's God gently revealing these things to you. Um, and it's almost like uh, um, in Philippians, we're, we're going through Philippians right now, and Paul talks about how, um, you know, I haven't, you know, I'm not saying that I've arrived, um, but I keep on pressing on because of him who took hold of me. Um, and I, I think that it can be easy to read that verse and say, <laughs> are you getting me? Paul didn't make it like the dude's writing the Bible. So if the dude who wrote the Bible isn't, he didn't make it. What hope do I have? But I think that the way that Paul is writing that is, I, I, I haven't finished. It gets better. Like, it gets better. There is more. There's more grace. There's more goodness. The less of you that you are holding on to, the more of Jesus you get, and that's better for you. So if you discover that you have been worshiping success and God shows you that Jesus' success is enough for you, that will free you to just love people instead of using people to help you succeed or feeling betrayed by people who can't like meet your agenda because they're they're frail or finite or just have other interests then you can love people instead of using people because you're satisfied in God and so um you know that can that it's motivating even to think about but it's de- it's so hard in the middle of it but that's that's the thing like if if church planting is nothing but identifying and crucifying idols then that's a win even if the thing never gets off the ground or the doors close yeah.
1: There you have it. The top 10 unpleasant surprises of planting a church with Pete Sikowski. And hey, we've got a lot more coming your way that we are stoked about. So follow us on Instagram. uh, Reach out to us with any questions that you might have or people that you want to see on this podcast or topics specifically that you want to hear addressed in the church planting world. Special thanks to Hope Hymns for supplying some dope tracks for us to listen to before and afterwards. These guys are great. Hit them up on Spotify, or anywhere else that you get your music nowadays. Uh, They have three albums out, all of them backed by Kickstarter, and uh, we're just really excited to see what they're doing, and thanks to them for letting us use their sweet tunes. And thank you for listening to Midwest Church Planting Project.